so glad that you're here today, and uh, hope you've come expecting a blessing uh, from the Lord. And uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been over the last several weeks working our way through this uh, letter of the Apostle uh, Paul. And this morning I want to talk to us about living G in an NC-17 world. Uh, and if perhaps you're like me, didn't even know there was an NC-17 movie rating, uh, it's, it's R is what I knew of. Uh, this is the next step, and it's no children at all. If under eight, you have to be 18 or over to be in the theater. Uh, R-rated movies, you have to be with a parent, uh, supposedly, although... Anyway, I don't think they enforce that too well. But, uh, so I don't know what, and I've never even seen an NC-17 movie advertised, so I was surprised there was that writing. Uh, but we live in a world uh, that is very uh, saturated with sin and sex, and you, you throw any sin you want to, we've got plenty of it, but uh, uh, you can't, uh, you know, even... Uh, Hamburger commercials now, they're using sex to, to sell hamburgers and oil changes and, and different things. And sometimes we think that our world's so much different than the Bible uh, days. And the city that Paul writes this letter to uh, was a city that was also uh, steeped in a culture that where just sex and debauchery and all kinds of, of bad stuff uh, pervaded the city. In fact, they had uh, a church, and I use that term very loosely uh, in referring to these they, temples, where the priests were women prostitutes. Uh, and that's, you know, what they did for worship was what you do with prostitutes. And we'll leave that to your imagination. And uh, but, you know, and so the world that Paul addresses is not so much different from our world today. Though we have more technology uh, and, you know, conveniences, the only thing that's done is make it easier for us to have access to sin. And, uh, but, um, and so we live in a very, uh, very evil, wicked world. And so how do we as Christians and those that want to honor God with our life, and the G is not necessarily, you know, children in an animated movie, but G here is for God. So how do we live for God in this sex-filled, debaucherous world uh, that we live in? I want to share some statistics with you that uh, really kind of shocked me. I hope they shock you too. <laughs> Uh, the sex industry, and so that you know, pornography and stores and all that kind of stuff, magazines and so forth, is a $14 billion a year industry. And that's more than the NFL, Major League Baseball, and uh, basketball combined. That just... Uh, 90% of teens... And 96% of young adults who 18 to 24 in the study that this, uh, these folks did either think uh, pornography is acceptable or neutral when they talk about it among their friends. 
And only 55% of adults say they believe pornography is harmful and wrong. Studies said that a majority of teens and young adults in their study believe that not recycling is worse and more harmful than viewing pornography. Nearly 27% of teens, so almost a third, have received sexts. Probably most of us never, don't even know what that is. Um, 15% are regularly sending them. These are sexually suggestive text messages and uh, photographs. 57% of the teens that took this survey admitted to searching pornography at least monthly. And here's what really uh, shocked me. 51% of the males in that study and 32% of females said that they had viewed pornography and the first time they did was before they were 13 years old. So why did I share that with you? Uh, you know, we, uh, we live in a culture that is so far removed from God's perfect design of this world. And I tell you that sex is a wonderful thing that God created. And sin, like it does everything else it touches, perverts and destroys that beautiful thing that God created and we live in a world that it is not getting any better. In fact, it's getting worse, I think. So I'll say more about that at the end. But I want us to know we live in a sex-crazed world very much like the first century city of Corinth. But Paul, as we're going to see as we read uh, these 13 verses, gives us uh, some pointers how do we live for God in the midst of this very ungodly culture? Verse 1 says, It is actually reported to me that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who... Ha uh, has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed am as absent in the body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together along with my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of their flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle uh, not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean uh, with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since 
then you would need to uh, go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company uh, with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Paul really is getting to the, the heart of this letter, and he loves this city. He planted this church. He loves these people that he's writing to. And he knows that some of the things that they're allowing and condoning and even celebrating are ungodly. And we need to understand that God expects his people to be different. So I've got four points this morning, well, two points and then two applications, so a total of four. Um, but I want us to see first, as we think about this chapter, I want us to understand first that God expects his people to be holy. He instructed in Leviticus on a couple different occasions, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And Peter repeats that, lest you say, Well, that's Old Testament, preacher. Fortunately, Peter doesn't let you off the hook because he wrote it down in the New Testament. Uh, and so, and by the way, it doesn't matter where it's at. If it's in the Bible, you should take it seriously. But God, expect, God is holy. And if you want to live for God and live a life that honors and pleases God, you will, with the Holy Spirit's help, live like God. You, you are not God and you never will be God. But because He is your Father and because His Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross of Calvary and shed His blood for your sin debt, and because if you're a child of God and you've trusted uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and helps guide you, you need to live for Him and reflect what God has for your life. God created you. And God created you for uh, joy and good things. Sin, we know that sin does nothing but rob and destroy and break things. And so Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, you need to understand God has some expectations for you that are different than the way the world thinks. And it's not just about sex, where this world says, hey, if you want to do it, go ahead and do it. It's, you know, our world says, you know, if you feel something, just go ahead, do it. You know, it's, anything goes. And we're seeing the dangers and the, the outflow of what happens when society makes those kind of decisions. And it's not good. By the way, God told us that it's not. He said, you don't want to go down that road. But how many of us, as, uh, how many of you as parents have told your children not to do something Yet they've gone and did it, even though you told them not to. And they have to, as much as you want to, to rescue them and keep them from consequences, uh, 
they have to have some consequences so they learn not to do whatever that is again. But God expects his people to be holy. But here's the thing. Holiness is not sinlessness. This side of heaven, the reality is because of the sinful nature that's still a part of us in this world that we, we fight and we battle against sin. And you know what? Sex may not be your sin. You may have some other sin that, that draws your attention and tempts you. And it wasn't just uh, the, these folks that were being sexually immoral that Paul drives home. He gives a, a, extends the list toward the end, doesn't he? He says, listen, God expects you to live differently. Why? I think there's two reasons. The first is that he's different than this world. This world has been infiltrated by sin. And in God, there's no sin at all. John said in 1 John, in God, there is no darkness at all. That God is light. And so God desires for us as his children, as we live for him, to make sure that our life is not characterized by sin. There's a difference between sinning, doing something wrong, and having a life that's characterized by sin, such as sexual immorality or covetousness or idolatry or drunkenness or extortion. And so Paul says, listen, you know what God is. And how do you know that? Because he told you it's right here in his word. And as you read God's word and as you study it, God reveals himself to you. God reveals what his desires are for you. He, he reveals what his character is. He reveals what his plans for you are. He says in Jeremiah 33, he said, I have plans to prosper. God knows what he made you for, and he knows what you're designed for, and it is good. But you have to walk with him and allow him to direct your path in order for you to realize that. So understand that when God calls us to be holy, he, he understands that we wrestle with sin, but our life shouldn't be full of sin. And we really should be battling it. God expects his people to be different because he is different. But secondly, the other reason that he wants his people to be holy and different than this world is that as you are different and you think different and you act different and you talk different than this world does, this world notices that. And they say, you know what, there's something different about that man. There's something different about that woman. I wonder what it is. They should be able to know that you are a Christian without you even having to open your mouth. Just by knowing you and how you live your life, they should be able to tell that you are a Christian. But none of us are sinless, but we are all called, every one of us, to be holy. 
Holy is a, a, a difficult word, and it's a deep word. We could spend hours and hours talking about what it means to be holy. But when the Bible talks about it being something being holy, it means it's been consecrated, it's been set apart for a sacred purpose. And God wants you to understand that you've been set apart. When you came to accept that free gift that Jesus gave, if you've made that decision today, if you're here today and you're a born-again believer, then your life was changed when that happened, whenever and wherever it happened. And so God says, you know what? You're not this world's anymore. Now you're mine. And so act like it. So he, Paul wants us to understand that God expects us to be holy even in 2022. And God's expectation of holiness is not determined by this world. It's determined by God. But here's the thing. Paul reminds us that our holiness is reflected in our company. Paul says, listen, I told you in another letter, so evidently 1 Corinthians is not the first letter, it's the first letter we still have uh, that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, but it wasn't the first letter. He said, I told you to avoid those uh, that were being immoral. Why? He uses the great illustration, you know, one little bit of yeast gets into a ball of dough. It affects that entire ball of dough. And the reality is, Paul knew, and I know, and you know, that the company you keep says a whole lot about you. And it says a lot about what's important to you in your life. And what direction you're trying to follow in your life. You can say you're going one way. But if you're surrounded by people that are going the opposite way. You really aren't intent on going this way. And so our actions speak loud. In fact they speak louder than our words. And so Paul says listen. I don't want you to even hang around. Uh. Though, and he, he mentions here specifically, and I'm going to say more about this at the end, he says, when I'm talking about adulterers and fornicators and those being sexually immoral and those that are thieving and those that are drunkards, I'm not talking about those that are lost. You know, as a church, we shouldn't be surprised, folks, when sinners act like sinners. God's not. They can't do anything else because that's what they are. So he says, I'm not telling you to avoid those. In fact, I want you to be among them so that they can see how different your life is so that they may know the same God that saved you and changed you can change them. They said, I'm talking about those that are in the church that say they've been saved and they're born again, but they look more like the devil than they do Jesus. And they act more like the devil than they do Jesus. Because you see, whatever we believe, 
and really believe comes out in our actions. You can say you believe something all, all day long, but your actions is what show what you really believe. And so Paul says, understand that your holiness is reflected in the company that you keep. Listen, if, if you want to avoid, you know, uh, you know gam- we'll use gambling as an example, probably not a good idea for you to hang out at the racetrack. Stay away from it. So stay away from folks that are doing those things. And understand, hey, it's okay. In fact, it's good for you to cut some folks out of your life sometimes. Say, you know what? I I can't hang around you right now because you're heading in the wrong direction and you're not being a godly example. You're showing what it is to be a, a person that's not living for God. And I want to try to at least try to live for God with the Holy Spirit's help. And so that's the two points that Paul wants to make in these 13 verses. And here's two applications for it. Friends, we need to understand, and we don't talk very often about these kind of subjects in the church because it's uncomfortable. I can guarantee you it's uncomfortable for the preacher to be preaching this message. I'd rather just skip chapter 5. But as a preacher of the gospel, I can't do that. I've got to deliver the whole Bible. But we need to talk about it. And not just in church, but at home. And at work. And at the ball game. And when we're out with our friends. And we're out with our family. The first application that I want to see about this is we have to be constantly on guard and purge sin from our life. Peter said it this way. He said, you know what? The devil is going about like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. Satan wants to destroy you. And he knows what buttons to push, and he knows what temptations to put in your path. We must constantly be on guard and purge sin out of our life. I talk to parents and grandparents. If you want your children and your grandchildren to live godly lives, you better make sure you're doing it. Because if they don't see it in you, they certainly aren't going to follow it. But when they see you wrestling with sin, and they see you trying to avoid it, and trying to live differently than this world does, they notice that. They're being bombarded with all kinds of messages. There's inappropriate commercials even on cartoons. So your children are seeing it. Again, over you know, half of the respondents from this said that they had seen pornography before they were 13 years old. And this was done just a couple of years ago. And so if you don't want it in your children and your grandchildren's life, 
You make sure it's not in yours. And I mentioned earlier, you know what? Technology and the advances in our society have only made it easier for us to access things that we shouldn't access. But just because we can access it doesn't mean we should. And here's the thing, so we need to be on guard. We need to put things in our life. We need to maybe have some accountability people that are asking us, hey, how's your thought life? Where have you been hanging out on Friday night? You know, what, how's your language been? Have you been treating folks? You might be installing filters or programs on your computers and on your devices to try to keep some of that mess out. And even with those things, some will still get through. But it will be significantly less. And so use the resources you have. And if you don't have resources, find some. You know, find a Christian friend. Find, you know, come to me and we'll find them together. But we need to be constantly on guard and purge sin from our life. And we constantly need to be on guard for our children. And you know, I know children that are 9 and 10 that have cell phones. And that's just the world we live in. But just because it's the world we live in does not mean we give our kids free reign of technology. Parents, you monitor and guard what your children are doing. Don't just trust, well, Leslie's such a sweet girl, she ain't going to do nothing bad. I tell you, she looks real sweet on the outside, but there's times she's plumb rotten. And all of us are too, I'm not just picking. You know what, when Leslie was a kid, she was rotten. She was, I could tell you stories, she'll even admit she was a rotten kid. Thankfully, she grew, outgrew most of it. Uh, and... Uh, when I've made her mad or something, it you know, might come out. Something. Anyway, that's another sermon for another day. But you need to, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your children and your grandchildren, you need to guard your heart and you need to guard your t- devices. We have uh, filters on our internet here at the church and we have the same thing at our house. Um, that keep most of that stuff from from coming uh, through. And when it gets, guess what? Every one of your computers and every one of your devices has a button, a delete button. Get rid of it. And you know what? There's an imaginary delete button in life. And there's some things in your life that are keeping you from being what God wants you to be. You need to take that delete button and delete it out of your life. If it's keeping you from God, Jesus said it this way. He said, you know what? If your hand makes you sin, chop it off. And Jesus was not, this isn't, I didn't intend to say any of this, but uh, Jesus wasn't teaching self-mutilation. But what he was saying was, you need to take sin seriously, because it's deadly. It will destroy you. And not just you, but your family. And I tell you, there have been a lot of churches, even this church in years past, have been hurt 
because of sexual immorality that has gone on among members and leaders in the church. And that shouldn't be. And so we need to constantly be on guard and purge sin out of our life. And here's the the wrap-up. Friends, you need to call brothers and sisters to repentance. Paul said, he said, you know what? Those of you that are spiritual, restore the ones that are fallen. In other words, if you see a brother that says he's a brother and he's living like the devil, go to him and say, hey, Aaron, the devil's looking out at you. Get away from him. Come over here. And hopefully your brother or your sister will be wise enough to say, oh, yeah, you know, because sometimes we get, you know, sin is deceptive. And it'll pull us further and quicker than we ever thought possible. And so sometimes somebody else sees it before we do, and you need to love those around you enough to say, hey, listen, you're heading in the wrong direction. Come back over here where you ought to be. And then what does Paul say to the Corinthian church? And He said, you know what, if those people won't listen to you, don't even eat with them. Because you don't need that influence in your life. Pray for them. But don't, don't let them drag you down with them. But here's the other side of that. You also need to call the lost to new life. You need to know some people who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We ought to be hanging around people. We ought to be involved in this world. Because we're people just like their people. And we struggle and have the same temptations and struggles that they have. And the difference is we found a way that we can overcome those temptations and struggles and his name is Jesus. And just like Jesus came and he saved me and he saved you, if you've trusted him as Lord and Savior, he can do the same for absolutely anyone. And the good news is he will. That's the good news of the gospel is that Jesus will save whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. And so you need to live your life and you need to be in love. Setting a good example of what living a godly life is. So that people may, and and talk to them about Jesus and talk to them about how Jesus is working on you because can I tell you something? And I don't know everything about any of you. But can I tell you something I know 100% is true? God's not finished working on you yet. You still have some rough edges and some smudges that he's got to work out. Or you wouldn't be here. If you're here, it's because he's still working on you and he has a work for you to do. And you need to let people know that. There are a lot of people, this is the idea they have about Christians, is, oh, they think they're better than I am. They need to know, you know what, yeah, I'm a Christian and God saved me. But it's only by His grace that I am what I am. And it's by His grace you can be as well. The reality is, is that anybody that spends eternity in hell ends up there Not because God didn't love them and God didn't give them an opportunity to choose differently, but because they rejected God's offer. He said, no, I don't want God. I want my way. 
I want the way this world fits. I want to fit in. You know what? God doesn't want you to fit in. He wants you to stand out. So that people will see that you're so different and say, Hey, what's so different about you, buddy? You see, well, so many years ago, however long it was, I met this man named Jesus. And he took me just like I was. And he loved me, but he didn't leave me like he found me. That's the news, that's the hope of the gospel. Is that Jesus will receive you just as you are. But you better know and expect he ain't going to leave you like he found you. He's going to change you. So how do we live a godly life in this sinful, depraved, falling apart world? We hang on to God because he's the only way we can do it. And here's the thing, if we know him and if we'll allow him, he will direct our path. And He will give us strength. And He will give us hope. And He will give us joy. He gives us new life. But in order to have it, we've got to be near Him, don't we? We've got to receive it. And we've got to reflect what we've got from Him. When He gives us new life, and when He gives us joy, and He gives us all those forgiveness and mercy and grace and all the things that God bestows on us, we need to reflect that to a world that desperately needs it as bad or maybe even worse than we do. So we need to be on guard. We need to protect our life. We need to be sure as best we can with the Lord's help that we keep sin out. And then we need to love others enough to confront them. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, we need to confront them and call them to repentance. And if they're not willing to repent, cut them loose. But we also need to have some relationships with some people who are unchurched, that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And have an opportunity to share with them that, you know what, I was where you were. And Jesus found me. And Jesus saved me. Jesus made me new. And I'm not perfect yet. But he's working on me. And he can work on you too. Don't you think for one minute. In fact, Paul says in another place, said, listen, you be careful how you walk. In other words, don't think you are above falling for sin. Sin is everywhere. The sexual temptation is everywhere. It's like you can't listen to songs on the radio or watch television uh, shows on TV or go to movies where you're not confronted with messages that are contrary to what God's Word says is right and perfect and good for you as His child. And so you've got to learn. How do I reflect God's character instead of this world's character? Well, it starts by the company that you keep. If you want to change, get around other people that are being changed. 
don't hang around people that don't want to change. Because if you hang around people that don't really want to change, that means you don't want to change either. The company that you keep says a lot about your character and says a lot about your holiness and your relationship with God and whether you're trying to live for Him or not. So be on guard with the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust Him to help you identify sin and when the Holy Spirit convicts you, you get it right with Him right then. I'll do it later. While the Holy Spirit's poking at you, you deal with it right then and confess. Here's the good news. Jesus uh, loves you and he died for you. He didn't just forgive you that one time when you asked him to come into your life. 1 John 1, 9 says God is faithful and true. And that if we confess our sin, God is faithful and true to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He goes on in uh, chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 John and says, Listen, my, my children, I write these things to you that you might not sin. But when you do, I want you to know you have an advocate with the Father, and his name is Jesus Christ. In other words, he's arguing your case and saying, Judge, I already paid the fine. The fine is paid. And when we confess our sin, what confession is not just being sorry we got caught. It's changing our lives, changing direction. Saying, you know what, yeah, I did wrong, and I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to go another way. So I hope God will help us and encourage us this morning and remind us it is possible to live a godly life in this sinful, dark world. And in fact, God expects you to live a godly life in this dark, sinful world. Here's the good news. We find it in Hebrews chapter 4, and I'll close with this scripture. It says that we have a high priest who, does, who is not unaware of our temptation, but in fact was tempted in every way that we are, yet was found without sin. In other words, he overcame the temptation. And so he's been there, and if he's been there, guess what? He knows the way, and he can show you the way. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and uh, Lord, this has really been a very hard message uh, to preach, and I think it's probably been a hard one to hear. And Lord, the reality is that as cleaned up as we try to make our life look, the reality is, is that we're hanging on by the thread of prayer and your Holy Spirit. Lord, maybe if there's one here today whose life has been so ensnared by sin and today they need to be set free, would you help them today to call out to you? Lord, maybe there's one here today that says, you know what, I really don't need to worry about this. I'm 90 years old. What sin have I got? God, if we are above dirt, we have sin that we deal with, but also there's younger people that are looking at us for a godly example of what it is to follow you. And Lord, I pray that if this sermon has accomplished nothing else, it's a reminder that we have an enemy that is seeking to chew us up and destroy us. 
but through Jesus we have victory. Lord, if it's salvation that needs to be found this morning, may it be found. If it's forgiveness, may it be found. If it's a fresh resolve that we are going to purge the sin out of our life, Lord, help us to resolve. Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to be your hands and feet. Lord, we want to live for you. This world does not want that, but we want that. And Lord, we confess to you this morning, we cannot do it without your help. So Lord, would you help us? In Jesus' name we pray. Let's sing this hymn of invitation. Let's stand together and sing. If God spoke to your heart, there's a decision you need to make. The altars are open. I invite you to come and pray. Pray where you're standing. But if God spoke to your heart, and there's a decision you need to make. And I tell you, friend, you need to make it before you walk out those doors this morning. Because if you don't, you're not going to make it. If you go out those doors without making that decision, you'll have forgotten it by the time you get to your car. So while God is speaking to you, you do business with the Lord as we sing this morning. Just as